You're listening to the Carry On Friends Podcast, Episode 64. Welcome to the Carry On Friends Podcast, where you'll be inspired and empowered to do amazing things in your personal lives, career, business, and community. With your host, Carrie Ann Reed Brown. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Carry On Friends podcast. You're listening to the third and final episode in the special series that I partnered with Jesse Owens on developing, cultivating, and launching your idea. I hope you've been learning a lot like I've been learning a lot, and we'd love to hear from you. So as always, there's a lot to get through in the episode, so let's get right into it. Hello, Jesse. Welcome to part three of our series on developing a product and ideas. And this episode, we'll be talking about launching the idea. So if this is the first time that you're listening to the podcast, we are talking with Jesse Owens, Senior Product Manager at MasterCard. And we've been talking about the different cycles that you have to go through to develop your idea, cultivate your idea, and now launch your idea. So Jesse, welcome again to the show. Always good to have you. I've been learning a lot, so I'm really excited about what we're going to learn in this stage. Thank you, Carrie. It's always a pleasure, and uh, thank you for having me. All right, cool. Now we're in the launch phase of the idea. Where do we start in this phase? So just to recap, where we started our journey was identifying a problem, conducting some experiments, validating that there's an actual need for this solution for the particular segment that you want to target, developing a business around that idea. And so now we're, we're in a phase where we've, we've done the appropriate tests. We validated against uh, some customers. We've developed what our business model is going to look like by exploring our business model canvas and looking at the different layers of our business from value proposition, customer segments, revenue, partnerships, etc. cetera. Um, so now we're looking at What do we actually need to build a product and ultimately launch it? So one of the things that I feel like it's very important is first defining your scope of what you're going to build. In our industry, we like to use a term called the MVP, so our minimal viable product. In essence, what it is, it's the the, the minimum sets of features that you want to build into your product, A, to launch it and to validate the assumptions that you have made through the the journey of or the the curation of your product. So what you're looking to do is defining the scope as far as what you want to build, the features, and then ultimately you need to start looking at potentially getting someone to design the product, to build the technology that's going to run behind the scenes and to launch it. So there are a couple things that uh, you'll kind of need to have in place um, as you're building this out. I, I highly recommend that you get someone who has the savviness around design to provide the look and feel for your product. Um, and the reason why I'm saying this is, is that um, there's a, a huge investment around user experience. And if you're not investing in the experience for the end user, there is a high probability that users aren't going to come back and use your product. So to launch a product for the sake of launching isn't good enough anymore. So you'll you'll need to embed some design patterns that's common for what users are accustomed to experiencing 
um, for using products. And if you're launching a product it's that's in a competitive market, that's going to be one of your differentiators um, in terms of we go back to the business model canvas and your your value proposition. You know, your value proposition could be, you know, we have this new cool technology that does something that's going to revolutionize this business. Or we have this experience that's going to blow your mind and that's going to create a sense of delight when you're using our product or how we've priced this product. It's incredibly cheaper than the rest of the products in the market. So those are just a few examples of how you can differentiate your product. And going back to user experience, it's investing time and energy in what that journey is going to look like for that user. And so what we like to do sometimes is create storyboards. The, the, the reason why we create storyboards is so we can have a conversation of what the user is going to experience each step of the, the journey of using the product, whether it's purchasing a, a T-shirt online or if it's finding out where to go um, or tr- trying to find directions uh, to a restaurant. So you want to create a intuitive and engaging experience for that user so that A, you can ensure that that user is going to come back and use your product. And two, so that user can tell others about your product so that you, you create a, a viral effect of your product because you've uh, developed something that's so intuitive and so engaging that others are talking about it without you actually having to market it. That's one facet of the design. Two, uh, the technology. So I, I think it's important that, one, you don't have to be a developer to launch a product. However, you do need to understand what needs to be built in order for you to have a successful product. Um, so I won't get into like the entire tech stack um, because that composes of a number of layers. But what you want to hone in on, if you're not technical, is to understand how you want to distribute your product. Do you want to go mobile app? Do you want to go on web? And if you want to go mobile, do you go iOS first or do you go Android or do you do both? If you have a web component, you know, what's what's really your strategy on distributing your product? What form do you want your, your product to be in in order for users to consume it and ultimately use it? And so that being said, um, there are things to consider if you're going mobile first. You want to look at, all right, well, for this type of product, I want to build it in such a way that it's intuitive and it creates an experience for my end users that they're accustomed to. Or if it's a product that you need a companion, a web product, then that's also something that you need to prioritize. So it's important that you look into technologies. I, I highly recommend looking at tech stacks of existing companies. And so looking at what they have invested in and tailoring that into what you need to build. Case in point, there there are sites where you can have a look at Airbnb and what they the technologies that they use to build their product. And you can sort of use that and you can sort of plug and play in terms of what you need to build something similar at the scale of an Airbnb. All right. So once we've once we've identified our tech stack, then we need actually need to hire a developer engineer to help build the technology. So we brought in a designer to create the experience. We need like the backend functionality that's needed from a development standpoint to making sure that transactions are secured and stored, making sure that there are, our inventory is updated and it's calculated in a way that I have full transparency of what's the current state of my products, what products are being purchased the most, 
things that are really um, that's going to build into my KPIs, which we'll talk later, our key performance indicators. So you'll need a developer to really build that out and and build out the the tech that's going to really push your business forward in regards to uh, managing your transactions, handling your data, understanding your consumer buying habits, understanding your consumers experience while they're using the product. So what you're saying sounds very similar to a conversation that I have with Ashley Douglas. She is from Merch Carnival and she's from the U.S. Virgin Islands. So first you talked about the technology and you are talking more on the tech side, but for her company, which is they sell t-shirts, they sell products, they sell a variety of, you know, Caribbean related or celebrated wear. So she started out on, I can't remember the name, but it's a similar site like Etsy before she went and had her own platform. Her, her technology choices were, do I launch my own website or do I take advantage of an existing platform? Yeah, and that's actually a, a great point, Carrie, because there's always a decision to build or buy. And so I think what you've highlighted is something that's very important as an entrepreneur, where if it's something that isn't part of your, your core values or, or part of your value proposition, you'll probably probably need to look outside and figure out what can you purchase or what sort of products can be embedded into your, your stack. Prime example is setting up marketing campaigns and thinking about how do we want to deliver certain messages based off of um, our consumers. So like for an example, MailChimp is a good example that handles like marketing campaigns. If part of your product isn't predicated around building campaigns, then you probably should offload that responsibility to another product or a system that can help handle that. Because that's not part of your core values. That's not the value that you're delivering to customers is a, a cool marketing campaign. That's part of the business, but it's not something that's core. So if it's not something that you uh, feel like is going to be a key differentiator in your product, you'll probably need to look at services that can provide those sort of tasks and experiences that you want to create for your users. Because you don't want to invest time into something that isn't part of your, your core uh, your core value prop. So MailChimp is an example, but there are a number of other products that allots for um, offloading things that isn't part of your your core value prop, and it'll it'll still support your business. So cost is also a a big thing as well. So you have to have a a clear view of the things that you need in order to launch your business and the cost that's associated with that, um, which we'll we'll also talk about as well. But that, that's actually a great point. As an entrepreneur, you have to make some of those decisions on whether to, to build out the algorithm yourself or you purchase something off the shelf or not necessarily off the shelf, literally, but from a, an app store or um, it could be APIs that you can leverage to automate uh, these these features and functionality. And so we won't get too much into APIs, but it is a, it is essential to building out your product because when we talk about APIs, we're talking about the, um, so we talked a bit about like the, the front end of your tech stack. This is the experience. This is what the designer that you bring on board, they're, they're creating the, the, the presentation layer of your product. Now we're talking about APIs. This is really, uh, think of it as the, the brains of your product. What it's responsible of doing is making sure that Whatever data that the front end needs, it talks to your back end systems to serve the data back to the user. So an example of this is 
um, viewing items in my shopping cart. If I want to view items in my shopping cart, I need something that can talk to my backend to then serve serve up data that I want to see. So if I want to view items that I purchased previously, or if I want to view items in my cart, there are services that kind of sits in between what's being stored in your database versus what's being presented in your UI. So you've, you said a lot. So going yeah. back to Ashley, I love when it comes together because she started out with its, um, um, like store envy. That's what it was. She started out with store envy. And right. as she got some traction, she went to our own website, but she didn't right. use a developer. She used another framework, which right. was Shopify. Cause right. she said, I'm not a web designer. I'm not a developer. I can't code. I'm just going to mm-hmm. use something that will enable me to have my store function because that's not her core value, but she needs something for, in order for me or you, the customer to have this, you know, seamless shopping experience. Right. And and it helped her with the other things you talked about, manage her inventory, you know, have some ideas of, you know, give her stats about her sales, which products, which colors are selling, et cetera. And I can see where the APIs come in. So definition, you mentioned tech stacks a couple times what exactly is a tech stack just define that for for me right right so the the tech stack is really predicated around building a digital product Mm -hmm. so your digital product can be a website it can be a mobile app it could be a chat bot it's a a digital asset that you want to give to consumers and so what that tech stack is it comprises of what i like to think of there's there's three layers there's the front end there's your services and then your back end. And so your front end, it can be if you're building a website, it can be like your JavaScript, things that creates the presentation of your product. Mm-hmm. The services is kind of where your APIs live. And this is where you're you're managing the, the tasks that are being initiated by the consumer. Like, for instance, if, um, if I want to purchase a T-shirt, that is going to kick off a service call to my back end where my data is being managed to purchase a product, to build a consumer, and to update my inventory of, A, what the consumer just purchased so that I can present the remaining inventory back to some other consumer that's looking to purchase a, a similar product or that actual product. So there are a number of things that needs to happen in sequence to make sure that A, the the consumer is billed accordingly, that you are getting your funds distributed back to your account, you're updating your inventory, and from an accounting perspective, you want to make sure that everything is lining up at the end of the day. Meanwhile, you're also tracking the experience. One of the things that you want to do as you're building the product, you want to understand your conversion and creating a conversion funnel of your consumers. So a conversion funnel looks as such consumer comes to site, consumer does a search for a particular t-shirt, consumer adds that t-shirt to their shopping cart, consumer clicks checkout, consumer completes the checkout, and they're done. So that's a number of layers that you have to measure and track accordingly. And if there's any drop-off at any place in that journey, you need to look into what is causing the drop-off in that journey, because that's ultimately going to impact your bottom line of your business. So you can have a a nice, pretty website, you have great t-shirts, you have great products, but when you look at the data, you're you're realizing that your customers aren't making it through to actually purchase the t-shirts because you've done something that is causing friction in that experience. And so where I'm getting to is that you, you want to build some... Um, some measures in place that can help track that journey. 
So that's where we talk about the services. So there are services that helps manage or collects the data that you need to have the sort of insights to make um, proper product decisions. All right. Awesome. And then finally, it's our, our back end. This is where sort of our, our servers, our databases, not to get too deep into the technology, really what as an entrepreneur, what you'll need to understand is when I launch this product, I want this product a to have great uptime. Like I don't want my product to crash. And if I'm scaling, I want to be able to scale my product in a way that, so let's say if I launch a product in New York and then I want to scale to, you know, other locales, I want my infrastructure to be able to support that. And so there's also products in place to manage that as well. If you're, if you're not technical, if that's not part of um, your core values, I would highly advise looking out to third party services. And one that comes to mind is Amazon Web Services. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's, that's really like the go to for like cloud infrastructure for your product. This is all part of your tech stack and part of what you need to have in place when you launch because it's, it's immensely important that you have something in place that can support the scale that you intend on having and ensuring that you create an experience for your end users that's delightful. I can relate. So with most people, your website, you host and other bloggers have talked about it. What type of server are you hosting on? Is it a shared server? Is it all these different things affect the performance of the website? And uh, my issue was happened to be that the box that my website on was not um, a Linux and, you know, they said to move uh-huh. it here and you got it. Right. And I'm like, I do not know what that means. I just need it to be fast. <laughs> All right. Exactly. So if it needs to be on the Linux and not Microsoft, sure, I went to IT guys and they're like, yeah, you know, but I'm like, just do this. But as always, I'm trying to um, convey to the audience that it doesn't have to be something as sophisticated as an app. It could be something as simple as running your blog that, you know, the server right. you choose or the, the type of hosting plan you choose are things in the back end that affect your your ultimate front end service, which is articles, pictures, and um, it, it's it's really important for the customer audience experience because we want it fast. And the minute it's not fast, we don't go back because we're like, this is taking too long. Right, <laughs> right. Then you end up going to something else. Like, this is like, we live in a society where like I mentioned before, it's, it's instantaneous, especially if it's something that you're presenting for the first time to an end user and it's slow. Like there isn't like great incentive for someone to come back and use your product because the expectation has been set that your app is slow. Mm-hmm. So you really need to nail the performance and the the responsiveness of your product um, from the from the get go, because um, you, you, you may not be able to get that user back if you lose them in that first experience. Yeah. Absolutely. You don't get a second chance to make a first impression. Mm-hmm. Yes. So once you've identified your tech stack, now you want to start looking at your KPIs, your key performance indicators. And why this is important is it essentially provides three things. It provides an analytical view of your company and it provides quantitative measures to validate or invalidate your, your strategy. It also determines the, the outcome of what you've built. KPIs are, you can look at it kind of holistically when regards to looking at your customer acquisition costs. And this is the amount of money spent on sales, marketing, your technology, and the the average number of customers you're able to have sign up for your product um, during that period of time. And so that's really important as an entrepreneur because it will literally give you insight in terms of 
how much does it actually cost for me to actually acquire a customer? And so why that's important is because now you know your customer acquisition costs, you know how much you're actually spending to bring that customer in, and you already have assumption is that you know how much money that you have in your coffers to run your business. So if you're spending a significant amount of money, that essentially that's going to run into your, your run rate. And the run rate is basically how much money you have to run your company. So you want to ensure that you keep your costs low in order to maintain your company. And, and so this isn't like all the metrics, but these are key metrics as an entrepreneur that you should be mindful of. And so I think there, there are three core metrics that I feel like is important. One is the customer acquisition cost. One is uh, the customer retention rate. Once you've acquired a customer, once a customer has established a relationship with your product, they've, you know, they essentially said, you know, I've, I love like the core values. I love the, the quality of the product. I love these t-shirts. I want to be embedded into this product, this initiative, this thing um, that this person built. You want to start measuring, is this person coming back to use my product? You're able to bring them in. Now you want to be able to retain them. And so what you want to see is the, the percentage of paying customers who remain paying customers during a period of time. And you want to start measuring that and being very mindful of that retention rate. The, the inverse of that from retention rate, you can look at attrition rate. Like how many customers are actually leaving my product as a result? And you want to be able to uh, be mindful of that as well, because clearly there's something that's not happening that's causing customers to leave. Um, and then finally, we'll talk about uh, customer lifetime value. This is essentially determining the, the value of a customer with regards to the length of time that they've established a relationship with your product versus the money that the average money that they spend over a period of time. There are formulas that calculates these different KPIs, uh, but really it's just conceptually you want to understand what's your customer acquisition cost, your retention rate, and your customer lifetime value. Because it, it ultimately these are these are things that you need to understand and it's really getting a sense of your your consumer buying habits and what what are the expectations for each for each customer acquired, how much revenue am I actually going to see from that customer based off of the, the relationship that they've established with my brand, my product. Hmm. So that's like the other day I called my service provider. I don't want to say which one. They're like, oh, I see here. You've been a loyal customer for over eight years. And in mm-hmm. my head, I'm like, hmm. And what you doing for me lately, like Janet Jackson? Right, right. You know, I often feel that sometimes, you know, I'm with a particular service provider for a long time because, you know, comparatively, you know, there's a comfort issue, which most comfort um, customers have. Um, but there's also, you know, a quality issue, the variance, like the Sprint Verizon commercial, it's just the 1% difference. But, you know, it depends. The difference is important. But at the same time, I want to feel like as a consumer, that length means something. And if after a period of time, me being a customer with you for eight years, don't get me discounted services, it just gets higher and higher or there's something crazy that I'm going to leave. Well, that's my viewpoint as a consumer. What should be the the concern for the provider? I think I would reframe it as not necessarily a concern, but it's it's data points that the provider will need to know. So if we're going with the service provider example, they provide services, right? And those services can be bundled into different packages. Based off of my strategy, I can bundle services that I feel like it's applicable to 
a large customer base. And so I should be able to measure that versus their lifetime value. So if I introduce a new bundle package, I should see an uptick of that that lifetime value. And I should see that that relationship with my company be extended because of these packages that I've now introduced. Hmm. So it should create some diversification of my packages because I can have a customer lifetime value of maybe I can do the like the triple play where I get the phone, internet and start phone internet and TV. Yeah, TV. So I get all three or if I just offer internet, what's my customer lifetime value of that? So it just helps um, provide some structure and expectations on providing some forecasts. If you have an idea of what your run rate is, you can have an expectation of, all right, if I have 10,000 users and their their lifetime value is five years, and every time they come to my site, they're spending $20 for a t-shirt, that gives me X number. So I have an expectation of what sort of revenue of I'm, I'm looking to expect based off of what I've I've seen in the data. Okay. All right. We could spend a whole time on this about, you know, the, 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 the cost, the lifetime value, because clearly I got some issues being a consumer, but all right, let's move away. But I, I guess people can all relate. You're, you're usually on one end of the spectrum, the consumer end. So if as an entrepreneur, you take that into consideration with the customer lifetime value. So, yeah. All right. I'll hand it back over to you. <laughs> so, so other KPIs that you can actually uh, measure as well. So we talked about conversion rate. We gave an example of a conversion funnel of a t-shirt company. What you want to do is create that funnel and you want to be able to see at the different layers of your funnel where users are dropping off and you want to be able to see where they're dropping off, what are some of the behaviors that you're seeing at each layer. In addition to that, you want to look at your monthly burn rate, um, especially as a as a young company. You want to you want to be very mindful of a what you're spending your money on and how much money you have left. You know, it's something that to be very mindful of. And also, you probably hear this a lot, especially with digital products, um, monthly active users. For those who are familiar, you know, Snapchat just recently IPO'd, and one of the I'll call it opportunities that they have is. Um, sort of creating new experiences to scale their monthly active users. Um, Twitter also has these opportunities as well as how can they further leverage their platform to bring more users on and be active using the product. What this uh, really tells us is that from an investor perspective, it gives a sense of What's the longevity of this product? You know, is this product still growing? Has it matured? Is it on the decline? So you need to measure this in order to have that assessment of your own product. You know, are customers actually coming back and doing things on my product or is it am I seeing it still growing? Is it is it maturing? You know, and so this is all going to feed into the innovation piece of your product where you're you're, you're forced to think about, you know, what are new features that we can embed into this experience that can bring new users in? What are some new use cases that can create a more engaging experience? Gotcha. Gotcha. Now that we've established um, our tech stack, our, our KPIs, now we need to start talking about launching. And so launching can come in different ways. And I've, I've been a part of different launch strategies where we actually hosted events around around the Grammys um, I've also been part of events where it's we launched uh, products at conferences or it's been through social media, through Facebook ads. There's different mediums that you can use to launch your product. And so it's really 
is really contingent on the budget, the the scale in which you're 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 looking to launch the product, and also you're looking at um, your audience. So you want to be able to identify because we going back to our previous podcast where we talked about personas. If this is an opportunity where you can this this strategy is going to is going to resonate with your target personas then maybe an event to bring those personas at the table at the event is probably ideal if you want to launch something through youtube that's also a strategy as well so looking at where where your target persona is where they spend the most time does your does your target persona spend the most time on facebook on twitter youtube snapchat you have to do the due diligence on figuring out where your potential users spend the most time and making sure your product is out in front of them another strategy is, is content marketing um, a lot of companies use content marketing as a way of a building up the brand as well as bringing users to their product. You know, Medium is is a good way of establishing a brand because it, it's something that brings thought leaders together and convey their thoughts and, and their expertise. So especially if you're a new company that's getting into a new space where there's already incumbents or established companies, you want to be able to establish that expertise early. And these are a number of things that you have to think through as you're building out your product because you want to build out your brand. Going with the notion that if you build it, they will come is a fallacy. Mm -hmm. So as you're building out this idea, you need to figure out content strategies to get people a aware of what you're doing. And how to build that credibility that, hey, I know we're not a big brand that you're accustomed of seeing and, and, and using, but we're credible because we're able to do this. And we have people that are on the ground um, working on these complex problems. Um, and so going back to the T-shirts, we're not a big brand, but what we do have is we have designers that came from these, these great agencies and based off of their their knowledge capital, we're able to come together and create these great designs and great product because we've we've came from these disciplines. And so having that content really illuminate the the skills and the the, the thought around the type of products that you're building is is very important. Um, so your your content strategy can come via blog posts, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Snapchat. It's, it's very important that you define that strategy. And this is ultimately going to lead up to your launch. In parallel, as you're building out this product, you should have a content strategy on how to bring awareness to your product. I, I found there was um, what was really interesting was uh, the, the video player company, uh, Vimeo. One, one thing that they, that they did that was interesting was as they were building out their product, they had, I believe it was like a weekly uh, a weekly blog post of their product development journey that led up to their launch. They, they were so transparent that they even um, provided the sketches that they've done for their their video player. So like going through like the wireframes and, and and going through like how they're thinking about what the experience is going to be for the user all the way up to their launch. So it told a very compelling story from the inception of the idea all the way up to the launch. And that's just one approach that you can take, but there, there are a number of approaches. And so um, I mentioned before is uh, you, you wanna make sure that you have a designer that you can bring in house or that's someone that, that can provide those, uh, that idea to life, an engineer, um, but also something that's very important is a marketer. Because you're probably going to be in an industry that's highly saturated, you want to be able to create some differentiation um, of your product. And part of that is marketing. 
And so you need someone that can provide that strategy to create awareness and also create something that's engaging um, to have users talking about it. And once you launch, you, you can create a, a nice um, uh, a pool of, of users based off of your, your campaign and have it be measurable as well. So the, the content marketing strategies is great. I guess my question for you is it's, it's unclear, but based on let's, let's, let's use the Vimeo example. They probably had to go in with the strategy in mind or as part of their process to be documenting their, their their cycle, because they know that they're going to have this as part of their content strategy. But how did they know that everyone would be interested in, in this behind the scenes? Um, Because a, a part of content marketing, marketing is also will your audience find this information useful so is the 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 buyer or user persona does it factor in how they consume content absolutely uh feel that that factors in as well and you brought up a great point and that's also part of uh the experiments that you've run so you you establish that you want to create a product to solve this problem but now it's also like how do i create a customer base before i even launch and so that's part of the content marketing strategy. So you want to look at what is content that's going to be relevant for my target users. And so that's part of the, the, the personas that we talked about as well is that I've cre- I'm, I'm creating this product based off of their, their pain points, their, their goals, their desires. But what is content that's going to be relevant to them? And also it's, it's important for you that you, you create this in a way that you already have a pool of users that's, that's dying to use your new product based off of what they want to see, hear, learn about. This whole aspect of storytelling is great, but like you said, in a saturated market, it just seems like, you know, there's just so many things to consider. So it's interesting that we're talking about the content marketing strategy towards the launch of the idea. But, you know, some companies might think of this in the very beginning after they've validated, you know, their idea and they're going to cultivate it. And which one we choose, I guess, largely depends on the product or the audience and if they really care about this. Right. Absolutely. All right. Good stuff. Good stuff. Give me some ideas. Good stuff. And so this is all leading up to the product, uh, the product launch. Um, and then once you've launched your product, you want to start having some assessments after you launch your product. Some things to be mindful of when you launch products is that oftentimes launch fails um, and not to look at it in a negative light. Um, it should be used as an opportunity to a understand what transpired and what can you do going forward to further pro- provide some some reinforcement in regards to your product launch and how that may or not resonate with consumers. So I'll just talk about a few scenarios in which how launches failed okay, and great, just give that some was my examples. question because let's define fail. And then we could, you know, so yes. Yeah. yeah. When we talk about uh, failures, we're, we're talking about opportunities to identify maybe this product doesn't have market fit or this is a insights into maybe we should pivot and do something else. So failure in a sense that we didn't necessarily meet expectations of the product, but the, the positive is that we're able to collect some insights that will allow us to focus on something that's that resonates with our consumers and we're able to pivot to a, a business model or an approach that that's actually fit for the business and fit for uh, the, the space that we're looking to operate in. Mm-hmm. 
some examples of some launch failures is where a company can't support fast growth. And so the lesson behind this is have a plan to ramp up quickly if you're if when your product takes off. So when the when we talk about our tech stack, if you have a infrastructure that isn't really built for growth, then you're going to run into a situation where your infrastructure is going to run against the the scaling of your customers. And so you're not going to be able to scale quickly as more customers start to use your product. Right. And so Another one is where the product is revolutionary, but there's no market fit. And it's really the question of who's going to buy this and at what price. And so an example of this, you could think of a Google Glass where, you know, revolutionary, but this isn't really a product that's really fit for the everyday consumer. You know, you can argue about the design of the Google Glass, but the technology itself is it's a game changer, but it's not really fit for everyday use and for consumers who um, at least who they were intending on targeting, it wasn't really fit for them, nor the price was at a point where it's actually acceptable. All right. All right. And so back to the first example in regards to company can support fast growth. An example of this is the Windows Vista. So that's something where once it launched, it had a ton of performance issues. It almost felt like it, it was it was too early to launch. Um, and then once they launched it, they it was a, a ton of feedback from consumers that it didn't really uh, meet expectations. Another example of a product being revolutionary, but there's no market for it. Take y'all back a little bit and use Napster as an example, yes. where you know Napster it was essentially it was the 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 brainchild of what you see now with your Spotify's, your titles, uh, your Apple Music. Um, and they changed the game for uh, music sharing, um, but they didn't. They didn't build a business model um, around this. They built a really cool technology, um, and it was revolutionary. But at that time, the way that they positioned the product, it was very concerning to record labels. Mm. And so, through their innovation and their technology, other companies have came along and developed a similar type of approach. But they've included the record labels and the artists in, in, into the revenue sharing. So it, that launch actually, it failed in a sense, but it also created the, the, the inspiration for other companies to build businesses around music. So, all right, here's a question. This, this mm-hmm. gets thrown out a lot. The bell uh-huh. curve with the early adopters, the mid ones, the, and then the late ones. How does this factor in? So someone could say, well... It didn't have the level of success I intended, but I just, at least I got some early adopters who like it. And I, I don't, is that how this works? I, I mean, we share right, a lot, right, but right, right. Mm-hmm. explain how that works. The whole concept of early adopters, people who are mid or, and then those who are just absolutely late to the game who are just like, I'm not going to do this until other people try it. So for instance, if Microsoft, as much as we all use it, they come out with a new operating system. I am not getting it. The fir- not in the first week, months, maybe up to a year. They got to <laughs> force me to switch it. Cause I want y'all to work out them kinks before, <laughs> before right, I right. switch, you know, right. versus there could be other services that the minute it's out, I'm getting it. I do not wait. So how does this factor in? to the launch of a product or service. So, you know, Google Glass. Some people might say, well, I was one of the first to get the Google Glass and people are like, we'll get it when they fix it or it's affordable. I I don't know. How does that whole bell curve and early adopters, late adopters fit into this scenario? Right. So excellent question. So with with regards to early adopters, part of your launch strategy, and I I failed to mention this, is uh, try to identify thought leaders in the space or 
people who are active in that space that you can influence uh, to talking positively about your product. So giving, I won't say incentive, but giving giving the blogger or the, the thought provoker a product that you're launching and have them use it. And these are really your loyal users that giving them early access to the product so that they can talk about it, give feedback, and talking about the product amongst their friends, start sharing it. So this is also part of your strategy as well. And um, a product that's actually used as a platform for launching new products is called Product Hunt. Um, and so... A number of products um, that are used for launching, they go through Product Hunt as a means of getting to the early adopters. And what's cool about Product Hunt is that you essentially you host your, your product or your website um, on the Product Hunt, and then you get reviews um, prior to launching. And so what you'll do is start to build out a community of followers before you even launch. It's actually really cool when you start looking at what the viral effects have for your product. And they recently established a partnership with Amazon. Now they're part of that that funnel where when you're launching a new product, you, you're able to purchase their product through Amazon um, upon launching. So it's it's actually really cool, you know, when you look at how different products have gone through Product Hunt and how it's it's resonated with consumers. Very interesting. It's Product Hunt. Yep, Product Hunt. Awesome. All right. So so what you can do to get early adopters is identify thought leaders who are very active and more commonly referenced in some spaces as influencers, give them early access. And, you know, they'll hopefully they'll talk about this, the product or service to their audience to get early interest in the product. So have have you seen scenarios where people have tried the this approach and the launch still failed? And what is actual failure? Is it they didn't did they set a target and they didn't hit the target? Um, what's considered a, a failure to launch or not a failure to launch a, a launch failure? Right. Is it quantifiable? So, right. So that's that's also important. Um, before you launch, you establish quantitative and qualitative metrics that you want to measure yourself against when you launch the product. For an example, if I'm launching a new website for my t-shirt business, my my target is um, 5,000 signups or 5,000 t-shirt purchases within a month. Um, and so I want to measure myself against that because that, that that's a metric that I want to measure my, my product against. So it's extremely important that you establish predefined metrics prior to launching. Awesome. All right. So early adopters and the launch failure or launch success is really based on whatever we defined up front as right. a target. All right, great. So where are we now in the cycle? So we've been talking a lot about pre-launch. And so we talked about sort of examples of uh, launch failures and how to sort of navigate around that. Now we're talking about the researching your space in depth and creating that narrative. We have this common theme of storytelling so researching your, your space in depth is some questions to ask yourself is what's the larger narrative around this space and what are some strategies or tactics that are being leveraged in this space that you can, you know, you can piggyback off of and maybe remix it into your own style and flavor, hmm. you know, so, because, it, yep. So larger narrative, I'm going to go back to t-shirt business. Okay. So why is there, I mean, I don't think there's ever been a lull in t-shirt but let's let's pick that why is there the sudden uptick with t-shirts 
by right. these smaller companies versus, you know, back in my days in the early 90s. Yes, I'm dating myself. Everyone wanted a name brand T-shirt. You know, is it you figuring out what what's the narrative behind people going, you know, something that's not as designer trendy versus something that's just like you know cool is that that's is that what you're referring to why okay great questions um so the larger narrative what we're getting to is so for a t-shirt company um so we we talked about it's high quality it's form-fitting it's it, you know it's all these great things the materials is great we uh, the, the way that we produce these shirts is is what you would expect um industry standard However, our designs of our T-shirts really emulate some of the, the plights and issues and current events that aren't necessarily captured or designed with other popular brands. And so our story is that we're going to illuminate and we're going to capture issues that everyday people are going through. And hopefully that these messages is relevant to you. And we feel like these T-shirts are, are relevant for the times. Okay. All right. So, that makes sense. so yeah. So talking it up in a way that you, you're talking about the purpose around the t-shirts versus the quality. Because in a way, um, there is assumption that they'll be of like a minimal, you know, quality or expectations. But and and if that's the case, there's no differentiation between your brand and someone else's brand. So the story is also <laughs> the differentiator for your brand. Right. For another example at, at MasterCard where, you know, of course we're focused around digital payments, but we're also focused on uh, the enablement of commerce in underserved communities and providing technologies that's fit for the technology constraints in those communities. So just looking at innovative ways to allow communities that don't necessarily have the infrastructure to participate in global commerce. All right, gotcha. And based on this, it this is also something. Um, even though we're discussing it at this stage, it should be also something that I would think you think of in the very beginning. I mean, we talked about it, but it's mm -hmm. th that that purpose also has to be that guiding force as you go through the cycle as well. Um, refinements are required for everything along the way, but it just kind of has to guide because everything kind of has to align with this whole purpose. Right. It's all going to fold back into our business model canvas where we talk about our value proposition. Mm -hmm. And based off of that value proposition, we want to start developing that narrative that's going to really capture uh, the user's attention in terms of what's the value that we're going to deliver to the end user. Mm -hmm. All right. Great. All right. So in this stage, we are researching the space in depth, storytelling, what's a larger narrative in the space. And so what's next? So and then we talked about our content marketing strategy. So you're really getting the market ready uh, for this. So we and then we established some pre-launch goals. So we're creating content. We're defining our SEO strategy so that users are actually able to search our product. And it's also important of understanding search behaviors. Um, in regards to your product. So you want to make sure that understanding how to tag your site or your product in regards to how your customers are going to search for your product. Um, so that's also very important. And also in regards to content, you want to be measurable in your content as well as understanding what really resonates. And so you can do some preliminary experiments as far as what content is going to resonate, but you won't know until you actually start putting content out, um, measuring the engagement around it, and then you can tailor it 
in regards to what content do you want to start publishing going forward based off of the uh, engagement levels of that particular content? Are people more receptive to video or is it blog posts? Is it tweets? So those are things that you'll have to measure on an ongoing basis of what's, you know, what's relevant for your, your target customers. You know, it's try, um, measure, or is test, measure, repeat, or adjust and repeat, basically. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. And this is the, the content marketing strategy and the pre, is, is there a pre or po- and post-launch strategy? There, there is post-launch. But before we actually get into uh, post-launch, there's, um, when you launch your product, it's, it's very important that you understand when to launch. So you, you may see products that launch around, you know, key events. Like I mentioned, you know, uh, earlier in the, in the podcast, I mentioned around uh, events like around the Grammys or the holidays or, you know, so that you can, you introduce something that's new that consumers can start using because that's, that's the time of the season where it's, it's very prominent where consumer spending is at its highest, like during the holiday season, post Thanksgiving, before Christmas, that's where you see a lot of activity. So um, if you're if you're looking to launch a product, that's also ideal. But that being said, you also just want to be very mindful on how you uh, want to go about it and in regards to making sure that, A, you have your design in place, your infrastructure, and making sure that your tech is in place before launching. And sometimes you have to delay your launch um, because of maybe one of those things aren't necessarily aligned. And so you, you have to be very mindful of being comfortable with making some adjustments to your launch date based off of uh, timelines for the development of your product. All right. I've seen and, and I've experienced some companies who they're communicating with you until the site launches and are giving right. you updates right. um, in anticipation of that launch. But a lot of people may not do that for those companies, like who's watching. So let's just say I decided I'm going to launch my company uh, September 1st. September 1st comes and goes and it didn't launch. Like who's watching that I don't tell? Like, I, I, I don't know. How, how detrimental is that? Right. So you, well, presuming that you, you started building out a market prior to launch, you, you're getting users prepped for this launch. And so you're, you're building out the anticipation of this product. Let's say for an example that, um, you know, it's a, it's an artist that you follow, you know, they communicated that I'm launching I, or I'm releasing a new album by the end of the week, and then they delay the launch, you know, a week or two or a month later. You know, because you're a fan, you're going to care about it. So it's going with the expectation that you built up a customer base that is itching to use your new product that you need to communicate when or if there are delays in the launch. All right, cool. So, so understanding uh, when to launch and how we go about it. And so what's right. next? So you launch your product, you've identified your distribution channels, the development, the design, your infrastructure's in place, your go-to-market strategy is is solid. Now you've you already built out a, a customer base um, based off of your content marketing strategy. Now you launch, everything is great, everybody's celebrating. Now we wait. Who's actually going to use your product? And so you you have your goals, your 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 launch goals, you're measuring literally every day against those measurables. And one of the things what we start talking about is post-launch. And one of the things that you can start looking at is um, success stories or talking about product showcases, like how have companies or consumers used your product? Uh, or you can look at case studies. 
So if we're looking at from an infrastructure perspective, um, Amazon Web Services hosts a, a conference where there are their customers speaks on behalf of AWS and how they were able to become a successful company with the assistance of AWS and how they was able to scale their operations as a result. So looking at opportunities of building out customer advocates for your product is, is also important um, because you, you've created a community now of users that can speak on your behalf. And so for the t-shirt company, this is testimonials. This is product right. and reviews. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yep. And so what you want to do after that is you want to maintain that momentum. You want to follow up on emails and, you know, probably offering free trials. If it's, you know, depending on the product that you're using, you want to maybe follow up with uh, maybe customers who have may have added items in their shopping cart, but didn't complete a checkout. So you want to follow up with them. And those are things that should, it's part of the, the process of launching a product and not just launching, but it's also going forward. These are things that you need to measure against um, because you want to ensure that your customers are completing completing the, the journey. For the t-shirt business, if there's if you notice that they're they're adding t-shirts to the shopping cart but not completing the checkout, you want to understand or you want to follow up with those customers, A, to encourage them to, to buy, and you also want to assess uh, where there was friction. You don't necessarily need to explicitly ask them, but you can capture that through your product metrics as far as what actually occurred when they uh, when they placed the items in their shopping cart, you know, what actually happened after that. So this would be a great point because only because I've heard the term cart abandonment. When you're mm-hmm. looking at a tool to say you, you're not coding and you're not developing and you're going to use a tool like Shopify or WooCommerce or whatever, if they have the ability to tell you if someone puts stuff in a cart and they decide to disappear, it's, it's very interesting that you're saying this because if you didn't, I would not be looking at that as one of the features to look for from this company or from any of these providers. Obviously, I know Amazon does it to me all the time. <laughs> you know, right. like they, they start telling me when this thing went on sale and be like, I just right. dropped it in there just as a holder. When I'm, I'm going to get to it when I get to it. But um, yeah, that's very interesting because sometimes you get this perception that a lot of these features, like big companies like Amazon and all these other large e-commerce companies can have. But if we're going to use like these smaller versions, are they able to, to create or offer the same services? And so this is actually huge in regards to e-commerce as a t-shirt designer, provider, as a business, that is extremely important to understand what that experience is for your end consumers. And then if there's cart abandonment, um, you want to understand why they're abandoning the, the cart. Okay. So as a company, I can calculate my sales numbers based off of t-shirt purchases, but I don't have the insight on what what are the missed opportunities because of my abandoned shopping carts. So that could mean that my revenue could be three, four, five X if I just sort of optimize some of these checkout experiences on my on my website. Mm, it's very good stuff. All right. All right. And then finally, you know, I think at the end of your, your launch you wanna conduct a, a retrospective. And this is where you you wanna establish what did you learn from the launch and what occurred during the launch that you failed to predict. 
Um, Because there are things that are going to transpire that you didn't necessarily account for. And it's important that you take this into consideration for future launches. Um, And so we talked about the quantitative and qualitative data that we'll collect along the way. Um, This will all serve as documentation or assets that can be used going forward for future launches and kind of what you observed, um, what you experienced in regards to the product and how how it as he resonated with consumers. So this this essentially provides a really a holistic view of your product and what you can use going forward for future product launches and new features. This is this is not necessarily only for product launches, but as you launch new features, this also goes through the same uh, cycle. And so what you'll start to build out is it almost is like muscle memory in a sense where um, it starts to become unconscious learned behaviors that you'll start doing um, with regards to launching products and launching new features. So in terms of like what occurred during the launch that fail that you fail to predict, how does that help with the improvement of what we launched? Is that more for the experience for new customers? How How is that information valuable? Because I can see how that's a value, it's valuable if I decide to launch another product or service, but how is how could that be valuable for the, the product that we launched or our service that we launched? This is actually, this is good. So an example of, of this is that, let's say that when, when we define our SEO strategy, we didn't define a term that users commonly use to find our product. Let's say that's an example of something that we did not predict. Um, so going forward, we need to embed some of those terms into our products so that users can search and discover our product. Or we found that um, we saw that there are a number of users who found our product through Medium versus Product Hunt or through they didn't they didn't find it through Twitter. They found it through YouTube, actually. So maybe this is something that we maybe need to focus more on our YouTube strategy versus Twitter. So these are things where you you start to learn based off of the behaviors of your consumers. Hmm. All right. Good point. So now where are we? Are we done? Are we launched? Are we ready? Are we yeah. in business? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We're in business. We're in business. And we're we're measuring. We're optimizing. We're looking at opportunities. Um, and if you look at your your product life cycle, you're you're in the introductory phase of your life cycle, and now you want to sort of you want to move that product into growth because actually you want to start seeing money come in, and you want to start scaling out your business. Um, you're you're probably a small shop of maybe a few people, and as you start to scale your company um, and scale your product offerings, you probably need to scale your employees, and you have to bring in staff to actually support the business. So this is all part of the process, but this is really introducing your product in the market, how to measure it, and then ultimately thinking about how to grow that product. This has been such a really good learning experience for me. And I hope it's been the same for the audience because every at every step of the way, if, if I wasn't envisioning a potential business or a potential idea for myself. I was mostly in the mindset of or observing what prior entrepreneurs who's been on the podcast and most recently um, Ashley from Merch Carnival. And I really didn't use the t-shirt idea because of her. I just used it because it was just one of the simpler things that, you know, I know people could do. And then I looked at it from me being a consumer and now can see you know, how 
vendors and you know other service providers they they operate and see like oh so this is what they're doing when they do that so this was really really um a a 360 experience for me so me being the analyst with the as an interviewer but also being on both ends of the the spectrum of you know being a consumer and also you know being the seller of products so thank you so much for being on the show and you know any final words on you know product development and um i would just say that when you're developing a product a developing products is hard um but don't be intimidated of failing because it's all part of the process it's it's all part of you know being more in tune with kind of what resonates with customers um and what is what is going to do at the end of the day is going to you're going to start to develop intuitions on what consumers expect and what you what you need to deliver in order to create a great end user experience and then in closing I think it's it's also important that you develop empathy um, and really really have a a discreet focus on developing empathy for the customer and truly understanding those problems um, and making sure your solution really resonates and users are actually able to discover what you're actually doing. In short, don't be intimidated. Share your ideas. You know, don't feel like you have to keep these ideas close to your chest. Because you never know if someone else is as passionate as you on that idea. Develop empathy. And at the end of the day, you want to be measurable and be data-driven um, with your with your product development and also understanding your, your customers and your business. All right. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. As always, if you have any questions about anything that we've discussed in this episode or the prior episodes on um, product development, please send us an email. Hello at Carry On Friends. We're on Twitter at Carry On Friends and also on Instagram and on social media. And use the hashtag um, COF Podcast so we could join in on the conversations. Definitely share, send questions. We, we'd love to hear what you have to say. Do you have any, you know feedback, anything. Um, this has been really a great experience and we just really want to thank Jesse for being on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure to have him and until next time, folks, walk good. Okay, friends, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Carry On Friends podcast. For a recap of this episode and other great articles, please visit the blog at www.carryonfriends.com. That's C-A-R-R-Y-O-N-F-R-I-E-N-D-S dot com. You've been listening to Carry On Friends, a show about the Caribbean American experience produced by Breadfruit Media. We post a new episode every two weeks on Tuesday. And if you're looking to learn more, buy our merch or sign up for a newsletter, check out carryonfriends.com or Find us on all social media platforms at Carry On Friends.